folks, I use a Sunday school book that I'm not, I'm not really reminded if you have it or not, okay? Y'all probably in uh, groups that do the Bible book series. Okay, I, I think we bat out of books because I only have a couple of more weeks. But if you all take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And you can, you can follow along well with me there. And as we're recording, uh, that's what I'm going to say to the people who are listening by YouTube this morning as well, who don't have our book, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, the series that we have been studying over the last few weeks is uh, telling us how to serve, or it's helping us with our ability to serve. And the first, the first passage that we looked at a few weeks ago was in 1 Kings 16. Now the likeness to all of these subject matters is Elijah. And uh, I'm sure you, you have a very good working knowledge about Elijah. The first, the first lesson was serve with courage. And not only do we find Elijah in a position to serve with courage, we can remember many uh, in the Old Testament as well as New Testament when it comes to the subject matter of serving with courage. Secondly, we looked at serving with trust. Then uh, we looked at serving through prayer. And that was last week uh, we looked at that subject well. Uh, today we're, we're looking at uh, something that uh, uh, we need to remind ourselves of as well, and serving with loyalty. Now just to give you a little uh, hint of what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to look at Elijah when uh, they went upon the mount there, and there was a confrontation between the prophets of Baal and the and, uh, and, uh, uh, worship and the word of God itself. So that's where we are this morning now in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's pray as we get started. Father, thank you. Lord, you're awesome. God, thank you that you uh, have revealed yourself to us in a personal way. And Lord, as we come together this morning, we can see through the life of the prophet how he gives us a prime example of how to serve you loyally. So I, I pray that you would help us to see that, uh, not only the ones uh, that are here with us this morning, but also those who are listening by means of YouTube. I pray that, Lord, you'll speak to us all, and, Lord, let it refresh us in spirit as well. In Jesus' name, amen. The writer began today giving a little introduction by using uh, the Latin words, and the Marines were known by their uh, motto, or maybe some would say slogan, of Semper Fi. I remember uh, looking that up when uh, one of our church members had died some years ago who was a retired Marine, and I never knew what Semper Fi mean, but it means always faithful. Now, with that in mind, uh, that had been the Marine Corps motto since 1883, according to what the author is giving us today uh, of our lessons. He gives a, uh, a first-hand experience of a uh, Marine who was Corporal Matthew Bradford, retired, but he talked about how he exemplified the motto, serving in Iraq in January of 2007, Bradford was on patrol along the Euphrates River when he stepped on 
an improvised explosive device, an IED. Shrapnel blew up in his eyes, took one of his legs, severely mangled the other, damaged his left arm and right hand, and caused serious internal injuries. Three weeks later, it is said he woke up from the coma to discover he was blind, had lost both legs, yet incredibly, in April of 2010, he re-enlisted in the Marines. Now, can you imagine that? He re-enlisted in the Marines in April of 2010 uh, there, and he became the first blind double amputee to ever do so. Blows our minds, does it not? But as an ex-Marine, he, uh, he had always uh, probably rehearsed that, maybe even daily. Semper five, always faithful. Now, with that in mind, folks, uh, I've came to the conclusion that I personally uh, haven't really had any trouble in my life compared to what many people have. Good to see y'all. Hey, we're looking in your Bibles, if you have it, First uh, Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18, verses 20 and 21 is where we will begin this morning. Now, what the writer uh, or the passage that we're looking at in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 20 wants us to see there is that uh, Elijah now is the one who reminds God of his loyalty, okay? And likewise, there's the gods of Baal, and here's the great confrontation. And many of you, we've heard it, we've read it, we've studied it. But today we look at it from how we're to serve God with loyalty. Verse 20 in 1 Kings 18 said, So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you halt or waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people did not answer Him a word. Now, uh, some people would say, now quit riding the fence. Choose either God or Baal. You know, as we think about some of the last words of Joshua, I think it's in Joshua chapter 24. Remember, Joshua said, Choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I think I can compare this passage today in 1 Kings 18 and 20. Uh, to the fact that what we discover from the mouth there of Elijah the prophet is, hey, let's just have a showdown. Let's see who God really is. See whose God can answer by fire. Well, uh, it says, even after three and a half years of drought, Ahab, Jezebel, and the people were still holding faithful to Baal worship. They hadn't wavered a bit. It's three and a half years now. Had no rain. But now the Lord is fixing to show all of those on top of the mount who God really is, casting aside the evidence of Yahweh's supremacy. They remained stubborn in their affection for a false god. Now we see Yahweh wasn't through with them. And we're fixing to see today how he continued to speak through miraculous signs and the prophet Elijah. Notice in verse 20, Ahab summoned all the Israelites together. There at the 
Mount of Carmel. And Elijah now takes the podium, if I could use that word, okay? The question, there's a question the writer asks is, what does an unwavering loyalty to God look like? What does an unwavering loyalty, loyalty to God look like? I put a couple of things there when I was studying this week. First of all, I said uh, it is like hearing and believing. You know, I, I could see that. I see people who, who uh, they're, they're common people like you and I. And, you know, they read a passage or they study a passage or they hear a passage taught or preached from. And they just hear and believe, man, that's loyalty to God. But also put something different as well, hearing and behaving. You know, there's something that happens when we believe something, but also when we put that to action with our hands and feet, that to me is loyalty. So now it's time uh, that rain is fixing to come again. You remember who it was that prayed that it wouldn't rain? Elijah. He said, Lord, these people are stubborn. Now, it's my paraphrase. These people are bent to serve Baal. He said, you just withhold the rain. And the scripture tells us in the New Testament it rained for three and a half years. Well, now, you know, they're still stubborn. They're still serving Baal. So, hey, we're going to try something different. So, uh, they had blamed Elijah for the drought. Ahab accused him of being the one who was ruining Israel. However, Ahab didn't want to do an internal research and discover that it was his family who was causing all of the havoc there. Now, Elijah possessed or proposed a contest to see who there would be sovereign or show himself sovereign. So they met on Mount Carmel, according to Scripture. And as they met there, uh, what we discover that there is 450 uh, prophets of Asherah, 450 prophets of Baal, I, I think I confused that, 450 of Baal, 400 of Asherah. Now they're on a national landmark that's 1,800 feet above sea level. Now that's why we can say they went up to Mount Carmel, okay, up to Mount Carmel. And as they did, on top of this landmark, there's the contest there uh, that 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 is brought forth now as we try to focus and try to envision that okay uh we're trying to imagine uh visually what that might have looked like on that mountain that day because the canaanites revered mount carmel as a dwelling place of their gods this is an ideal place to show just how powerless their gods really are on the, the writer continues by saying, "Unfaithfulness is the risk of be, the risk of giving someone your love or someone you love the right to choose." And that's what they're fixing to have again is their right of choice. Now let's remember that we exercise our right of choice every day in some way. These people were exercising it every day. They were choosing to serve Baal. They would go to the altar. They'd serve Baal. The people of God and how Elijah became uh, concerned and said that he was the only one that hadn't bowed down. Wow, we see in reality there were many others. Now, the reality of this is don't keep halting between two opinions. 
Don't keep wavering in your loyalty. The writer said the term for waver literally means limping between two twigs. You know, sort of like we'd call it on crutches in our day. Israel hadn't denounced their faith in God, but they hadn't let go of their gods either. My grandma, I told you earlier, uh, she used to call it that somebody told her she was riding the fence. Now, riding the fence to her was she was either in the hardest of hard shells or she maybe was in one of the other associations, and because of that, you know, she wasn't of them. It's amazing, isn't it, how sometimes we, we look at ours versus theirs. But this is a real battle. And when I remind myself, uh, just a few weeks ago, we looked at the letter to the Laodicean church. And if you remember, it says, you are neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. God wishes that you were one or the other. Quit halting between two opinions. And that's where we're at this morning. Those of you who are listening by means of YouTube, uh, we're seeing today how we are to serve God loyally. Now, if you look in your Bibles to verse number 22, we'll read verses 22 through 26. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it or place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I'll prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And God who answers with fire, He is God. All the people answered, that's fine, that's fair, we could say. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that he had gave them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, save us or answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. Amazing, is it not? I can, I can personally try to visualize it. Now, there are some things there that we need to remember. Elijah, he really had a false sense of uh, his security in reality. Why? Because he thought he was the only one that had not given up. He was the only one faithful to God. Well, if you remember, there's another dealing in which God reminded Elijah, hey, you're not the only one. I've got these many here that you don't know about. In this particular scene, though, the two, bullet, or the two bulls, and we see the altar, and we see the similarities because they're identical of the approach there to the altar. Now, these, Elijah said, because there are more of you than there are of me, I'm going to let you all go first. And they begin to cry out to God, and they begin to pray up to God, and now, when I say God, it's their, their God, Baal, at this time, okay? And they begin to do their thing. And what happened there is that their God could not 
answer. Why do you suppose their God couldn't answer? In reality, he's just a figment of their imagination. Their God couldn't answer because, hey, he's false. Elijah knew full well that their God couldn't answer. But he didn't want to tell them, so he wanted them to see that. How many times have we tried to tell somebody something, and they, they just, as a little girl said to me one time, Preacher, will you just come over to my house and talk to my daddy about Jesus? He don't have a clue. Now, this little six, seven-year-old girl said that. Hey, what's happening on Mount Carmel today is that they are fixing to see whose God can answer. And he uses the object of fire to prove that. Now, again, the writer brings to the thought what I said to you the, the, just a few minutes ago. Elijah was not the only person still loyal to God because we find that others who have that loyalty, and we remind ourselves that loyalty to God is often the unpopular position, but it's always the right position. If you go out and you're on fire for Jesus and you start telling other people about it, they're probably going to make light of it, and if you persist, they're going to make light of you. Why? They haven't denounced God necessarily, but neither do they want to make a strong stand with God either. So as we look at this, the prophets of Baal, they have prayed, they have cried, and you know the scripture tells us, and I'm not sure it's all fulfilled in this passage yet, but they would begin to cut their wrists, they would begin to draw blood, but yet and still their God couldn't answer. Now, it's not that he wouldn't, it's that he couldn't. Elijah made it his mission to debunk the lie that Baal was a real God like Yahweh. Confident in their idol, the prophets of Baal, they enter this thing with fervor. They're excited to get to prove their point. That's my paraphrase. Dancing, limping. Now, in the end, it doesn't matter, does it, how sincere we are, we are in our belief if you believe the wrong thing. So, putting their God to the test. The writer reminds us, even when we take something good and make it an idol, it can never compete with God, and in the scope of eternity, it becomes meaningless. Now, it's not a popular thought. But let's think on it just a moment. How many of you have seen an idol lately? You know, we go in homes, we don't necessarily see idols, do we? Yeah. But you know, if we watch people's lives, and, and I'm really talking about even examining my life, we might could see the things that we put before God. And if we know that correctly, what that is is something that has become an idol to us. On page 107, I don't think any of you have the book today, and I apologize for that. I will reprint some lessons for next Sunday. But he, he, he gives us, the writer gives us a few thoughts, and let me share it with you right here. Potential idols is what the writer gave title of this. And he said some potential idols, and you really got to let this 
you got to absorb this a little. But he said potential idols. Family, church, reputation, traditions, money, independence, health. And then he gave the biggest answer, other. Now, if we really get honest, sometimes we don't see that as idols, do we? For we think it's something you've got to carve out with a knife or chisel out with a hammer and a... And we think it's something that you've got to put on the mantle or you've got to have it in the whatnot stand because we think that's an idol. Well, let's remember, anything we give our love toward or our life to becomes an idol. Sometimes I'd go to the car wash and somebody said, what, what, you know, somebody might ask, well, where you been? I said, went to wash my idol. You know, if we're not careful, a vehicle can become an idol because it gets most of our attention. Okay, what could Baal's prophets do as they cried out? Nothing. You know, they could have used this expression. They could have cried till the cows come home. But their God just could not answer by fire. Now, if you've got your Bible open, look at verse 36 of the same chapter. Verse 36 said, At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that, you're, and that at your word I've done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned back their hearts or turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, convincing was it not? They had had the same opportunity that Elijah had. They had their bull. They had the altar. But now as we find, He could not answer. Their God could not answer. But what we see here. And the writer brings it to our attention a little bit that the 12 stones might have been to signify the 12 tribes of Israel. Now again, in the King James Version of Scripture, it would have read the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the Holman Christian Standard, he said the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Same, same thing, Israel versus uh, Jacob, because that was Jacob's other name. But to remove any possibility of trickery here, Elijah would dig a trench around the altar, order that the altar would be completely soaked in water. And when the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench, it was plain to see that only an act of God could cause this sacrifice to burn. So, what's going to happen? Who's going to win? Boy, people's eyes now are fastened to the altar, aren't they? They, they have saw up to this point what Baal couldn't do. 
And now, as Elijah says, I'm the only one here that's standing faithful to God. So I let y'all go first, and here I am standing alone. And he begins to cry out to God. Surely, a similar passage could we find now in 1 Samuel, couldn't we? When there's the Israelis over here on one side, and then there's the Philistines over here on another side, none of the men of the Jews would fight the giant of the Philistines. Then comes along a little old David. David now, probably as I look, could be comparable only in thought to what Elijah's doing. They're standing alone. And if any victory is going to come, it's got to come through God. Hey, it's proof there. So now, Elijah had no reason to feel nervous or afraid. He had no doubt about what the outcome was going to be. He stood with the God who never fails. He was relying on the one who is the one in the universe who is 100% reliable. Elijah learned to be loyal and faithful to God because God had always been faithful to him. Now what happened to the what happened to the altar? What happened to the sacrifice and the water that was around the altar? What happened to it? If you read the scripture as I as Elijah said, answer me, answer me so this people will know that you the Lord are God and have turned their backs and their hearts back. It says in verse 38, Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offerings, even the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, water is a precious commodity right now because something hadn't happened in three and a half years. What is it? It hadn't rained. Now, some people, and it doesn't tell us in Scripture, but I'm sure there were some well-meaning people who could have thought this is sure a waste of some good water. But it says that God answered by fire. And as the Lord answered by fire, look what verse 39 says. When all the people saw it. Now who was the largest group of people maybe there? Baal worshippers. He said, when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is Lord. The Lord, He is God. Now the writer carries us just a little bit further because he reminds us on the hills of the Mount Carmel showdown, God sent the rain just like He promised. And you could look at verse 45 in that same chapter of 18 and see that God not only that day proved that He's the one, the only one. Then there was a little cloud showed up in the sky, you remember? Elijah says, we better get out of here. Now that's my paraphrase again. Why? He said, it's fixing to rain. Now, how many of you know how fast Elijah could run? The scripture said, if I remember right, he outran the chariot of the king. 
Now that's don't don't hold me to that. I didn't read it this week, but that's coming from memory that he 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 could he could really turn them over. Not that he was trying to show how fast he was. He just on that particular day, God proved two things. Well, one thing in two instances that he could answer by fire and that he could bring rain that had been stayed for three and a half years because of the prophet. What was the whole scene of this done for? To make Elijah look big and bad? No. Elijah said, I just want the people to know that you are the true God. And you know, whatever we do in our life, wherever we go with our life, whatever we say with our life, that should be our ultimate goal. Not that people would see us for who we are or where we are, but they would see God for who He is and what He can do. Serve God loyally. Timothy Keller on the bottom of page 107 says, If we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God Himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. How many idols can you remember in Scripture that people, that we really have stories built around? You remember when uh, Jacob was finished serving for his wife, wound up coming out with two wives, and he also came out with uh, great, great livestock, and it said one day that as they were headed back home that uh, Laban chased them down because he was missing something. You remember what he was missing? Scripture calls it a teraphim. And what it was was his God. I don't know if it was this big or... Anyway, one of the girls had stolen her daddy's teraphim before they left. And she hid it. She hid it under her bed. Now, when I say bed, I'm not talking about a king-sized bed. She hid it under her wrapper that she would have slept on, and her dad never found it. So that was a, that was a god, a household god. You all, we, we all remember what Aaron did. Remember, he just said, I, I took all the jewelry. They brought it to me, and I just throwed it in the fire. And it's the most amazing story I could ever hear. He said, out jumped the calf. No, they had to fashion that calf, and that was an idol. So when we stop to think about it, idols are pretty common around us today because it is things that draw our attention and focus away rather than allowing God to be supreme in all that we need, okay? So I, I think that's a wonderful lesson. Let's don't put anything or anyone in front of God in our lives. Well, thank you. Next week, uh, those of you who are listening by YouTube, uh, our subject matter will be serve even when discouraged. 1 Kings chapter 19. Who could you imagine, or let me just go ahead and ask this, how could you imagine that Elijah, who's just been on Mount Carmel, 
and, he, and God shows up like he did, how can we possibly imagine that he could get discouraged so quickly? It happens, doesn't it? Matter of fact, it happens if we're not careful to all of our minds. Because rather than keeping our focus on the one true God, if we're not careful, we begin to study the things going on around us. And if we're not careful, we get discouraged in the midst of some of the biggest victories that we've ever seen. That's going to be a good study as well. 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through about verse number 18. So read, if you would, 1 Kings chapter 19. Thank you. Glad y'all joined us by YouTube today, and I hope that what we've studied gives you some encouragement and uh, likewise keeps you going strong. God bless you.